0: Today's guest on the podcast is Heather B. Armstrong. You all may know her as the founder of deuce.com. She was one, if not the original mom blogger starting her blog in 2001. I believe it was hand coding it herself. And she took blogging to a whole new level. We talk about everything from motherhood to blogging to her new book called The Valedictorian of Being Dead, which is a chronicle of her lifelong battle with depression and how she went through an experimental treatment to cure it. I have to admit, I fangirled a little when she accepted my request to be on the podcast. (laughs) I have enjoyed following Heather for well over 10 years and um, just really appreciated her talking with me about things that are so real to so many of us. So I hope you all check out her book, The Valedictorian of Being Dead, is available on April 23rd, and you can pre-order it now. Enjoy the episode with Heather B. Armstrong. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we
1: do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success.
0: everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Heather B. Armstrong. Hi, Heather. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm super.
1: Doing well here in Kansas. In Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> now, where are you? Um, I'm living in Salt Lake City, but when I heard your accent, uh, and I recognized it as being from the South because I'm from, originally from Tennessee. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. I
0: feel like I've gotten more southern since I've moved to Kansas. <laughs> I don't understand. But I was listening to myself the other day and it was really southern.
1: Yeah, all of my family lives out here in Salt Lake and they are very, 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 very southern. And so when I get around them, I start to chew my words. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called. Chewing your words. But I don't I just work from home and I don't like leave the house at all. And so mm-hmm. why am I chewing my words? Because no <laughs> one talked talk to me. <laughs> anyway, so how long did you live in Tennessee?
1: I, I was born and raised there. I-, I left at 18 to go to college. Oh, um, I heard it then. 18 to go to college. 18 to go to college. And then I left and came to Utah. Um, and my sister had been here. My brother had been here. And all three of us, when we came out west, um, loved Um, it's just different. It's very, very, very different. It's a different vibe and culture and scenery. And so when we went back to West Tennessee, it was like, Oh, what are we doing? No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we all three came in to live in Utah, which, and then my parents were like, well, what are we doing? So, both of my parents moved out to Utah. So
0: I think a lot of my listeners will know who you are, but let's do a very quick rewind of the story. You're probably so sick of telling, but um, you're, <laughs> you, know, you can just like play it for, so, you know, hold on, get yeah. off my phone, play, and then go on. But for people that don't know where you came from and kind of the, I think the last few years are actually your most interesting. Um, not that you weren't boring before, but, kind of where this all took you has been fairly interesting. So give us the quick recap of, of com and, and parenting and
1: <laughs> really quickly crap. Um, I started my website in February of 2001. I just turned 18 years old. It was 2001 and I hand coded the website and I uploaded it by FTP to a server in Indiana. And I was writing about life as a single woman in Los Angeles and ended up getting fired for it because somebody found out that I was writing about my workplace and sent it to all my bosses. And uh, at that time, though, nobody knew what a blog was. Right. Um, And so I didn't think that anybody would ever read it. And um, that's when it sort of blew up. That was the first time it got a a major audience because I was one of the first people to ever be disciplined um, for something that I had done online. Mm-hmm. and actually the term deuce became a verb to be deuced was to get in trouble for something you had done online. And it <laughs> it's a question <laughs> in trivial pursuit and it was on jeopardy as well. Oh
0: my gosh. And that's yeah. B O O C E for those yes. of you who
1: don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's and funny.
0: I, you made it to Alex Trebek. I did. <laughs> How did you find out about that?
1: Somebody, um, like, somebody on the East Coast saw it that day and wrote an email. And was like, oh, my God, you're on Jeopardy. <laughs> and, like, so I watched it that night and recorded it. And I was just, like, stunned to hear him say my name. Crazy. So, yeah. So
0: uh, what was the question?
1: The question was uh, a blog by Heather B. Armstrong created this term, um, which means to be – uh fired wow. from your job so you got your, your name in
0: there so yeah. it wasn't just the term Oh, yeah man. so that's pretty
1: major it was a big day and um very proud very proud moment
0: <laughs> <laughs> i may not be on jeopardy but i'm in jeopardy
1: mm-hmm. yeah cool and from there um i don't know like it had to and then my family found my website oh isn't that the worst yeah I didn't ne- I didn't even think that like they could barely log into their email at the time so I was like they're never gonna read this <laughs> and like I was making fun of my family and oh, yeah. that's what we do we're southern right we and and I they just and well they, re- they really didn't care about what I had written about them it was writing about this sinful activity that I was engaging in as a former Mormon. And they realized that I wasn't going through a phase; that I actually had left the church.
0: Well, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with parental disappointment? I think it's it's interesting how many different personality types deal with what I have a real trouble like disappointing people. It's just a fundamental character flaw. Are you just able to be like, eh?
1: Oh God, no, no. I'm, I'm like I am like a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I avoid conflict. I want people to be happy. I will do anything. Um, Like I joke about it. Like if you pee in my Cheerios, I'll be like, Oh my God, what is wrong with your day? I'll help you out.
0: (laughs) I've noticed that about you on Instagram. Like when someone will be like, Oh, I actually came across I don't know. I was looking at it today and I forget which post it was, but it was because someone follows me and they comment on you. And I guess it just fed it to me uh-huh. But it said something like, well, your life is always looks like a car crash <laughs> or something. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I know this woman because she used to say the same thing to me. And and um, and the way you responded, it was very much trying to like, Bring her around, you know. Like, well, yeah, my life's hard, so it is kind of like a car crash. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just, but I totally. But that's hard to do to be a people pleaser in your space.
1: I mean, oh yeah, got to
0: wear on you.
1: Yeah, that's been the most difficult part, I think. Uh, and I haven't. I have not handled it well. And I was never sort of guided, and I, ha- I had no mentor when it came to the criticism and the scrutiny. And I wish I had. I mean, I wish I. Could provide that for people. Um I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Um when Chelsea Clinton was uh I don't know if you saw the video, but someone started screaming at Chelsea Clinton um about her rhetoric being one of the causes for what happened in New Zealand over the oh, weekend. No, I didn't see that. And um I, I I think that there is a market for somebody to study like tactical um uh, how do you uh, you de-escalate, and t- to like get public figures and people who are who face this kind of scrutiny to figure out how to de-escalate a situation? Um, and I was never taught; I had, was never given any tools to deal with just the crazy, crazy, crazy <laughs> amount of hate. Yeah,
0: and crazy people. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and I mean. I've been, I'm not, I'm like 10% of, as successful as you are in the blog space, I but I notice how you have to learn these things the hard way. Because I guess I started writing online about 2007, which I think is like six years after you started. Mm-hmm. I actually had a platform, of blogger. I didn't have to write my HTML. So that was nice <laughs> <I didn't laughs> to like, create it. I mean, you've got to be like looking around thinking, oh my gosh, it's so easy to get a website now these days yes. after you did it the hard way. But I feel like some of us have to go through it and kind of pave the way and learn the hard way. Um, I feel like I don't respond as much Mm -hmm. or, I mean, do you feel like you respond less or you're just a little easier, breezier in your response? Like how has it evolved from say 10 years ago when some idiot would say something on Facebook, for example?
1: Well, like there's a, I, I approach it several ways. Um, you have to realize it's not about you it's about them they have something going on in their lives and they're taking it out on you and they're taking so they're taking it out on me and I realize that and I either respond with you know I'm I am so sorry that whatever has happened is causing you to say this to me and I wish you well um that usually or, makes them
0: matter doesn't it
1: well you know sometimes actually when I approach it that way And they step back and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. Like Mm. people have, I've I've gotten that response a lot. Like, oh, you know what? I I really was having a bad day and I apologize and thank you for listening to me. Um, And then sometimes I just don't respond because why am I going to waste my energy on them when I should be responding to people who are supporting what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes like, like with that comment, you know, your life is a train wreck and it always seems like a car crash. And I was like, well... I mean, have you ever raised two kids alone and worked a full time job and been responsible for all the financial and emotional well being of two children and moved four times in four years? Um,
0: <laughs> and then she answered you. She was like, Yes, yeah. no, no, yes, no.
1: <laughs> I thought, oh boy. And I said car crash is an is a is understatement. Understatement. See you
0: remember that comment.
1: Yeah, See, I totally it's do. So
0: funny. Yeah. And I well, actually I actually <laughs> I'm just laughing my ass off, but I actually like composed one because I know this person. And I met her in person, and she was super nice in person. And I thought, wait a minute, is this the same person I'm thinking of? Because they wouldn't be this nice in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like composed this whole thing like in response. So I thought, this is just stupid. I'm wasting my time getting involved yeah. with Heather's stuff <laughs> just because I was looking at her Instagram because I'm about to interview her. <laughs> This is the definition of internet insanity. I'm, on it. I'm in the middle of it, but I think what it is too somehow, bloggers and people that are in the public and we're sh- you're sharing your complete truth, your life, and all the car crashedness that it is. But somehow mm-hmm. you're holding up a mirror to people.
1: Yes, and they exactly. don't like it. They don't like it, and they don't like. Um, I call it being deliberately misunderstood and like, like, oh my God, Heather thinks that she's the only person who's ever been a full-time single mom. And it's like, actually, no, that's not what I'm trying to like. That's not my message. My message is I'm here for all the parents who struggle and who fight to make it through the day. And we all do. And doing it alone is especially hard. And, um, I mean, so I've been blogging about parenthood since 2004. Um, and of course I've gotten the criticism that I've violated my children's privacy and I've completely screwed them up for life. And I am, oh God, I once got accused of, um, Munchausen by proxy, Oh no! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Um, wow! My daughter didn't walk for until she was over two years old, and had a lot of occupational therapy. And someone wrote this manifesto on their own website about how I was like mistreating my child to get attention on my website. Wow! And like I, that was a devastating day because it was like, why would someone say that? I like, I didn't understand like why someone would say that when they don't have, they, they really don't know me. Um, They know what I write. Take
0: Time out of their day to write a manifesto.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Manifestos are hard.
1: (laughs) I want that time. I want that kind of time. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So was that your youngest daughter? That's my older daughter. daughter. She was born in 2004. Okay. Yeah.
0: So how has parenting in the public eye been difficult?
1: Um, It's been difficult only in the sense that people, I share like 5% really of of what goes on in my life. And people take that 5% and they extrapolate it and they make judgments about me as a mother. And most of it's really good. I mean, people, my whole thing is, again, to commiserate and talk about the difficulties because it is hard And, uh, being able to laugh about it and to find the humor in the difficulty, I think is very therapeutic and helps us get through the day. And, um, people have, you know, been really, really, um, hard on, choices that i've made and you know i've i've been learning this whole thing as, I've, as i go along as well i mean like i said i didn't have a mentor i just sort of made all of this up as i went along
0: right and it's hard parenting when you don't really have a parenting mentor either not to say like our parents aren't mentors in a way but we really need gurus <laughs> you know, like, where are those people when you are holding your baby for the first time that swoop in and say, this is what you should do?
1: Yeah, it'll be okay. Exactly. And and I, I didn't have many friends with kids. And mm-hmm. so I was very isolated and alone. And, you know, I had really terrible postpartum with my first kid and ended up in the hospital because I... I didn't sleep for six months. She was colicky and she didn't walk. And it was, it was really, really bad.
0: Do you but, ever recover from that sleep deprivation? Cause I don't think you can.
1: I don't think you can. I don't think that you ever as a parent, really, really get into a deep sleep. I know, <laughs> ever again, ever again, because your brain, a part of your brain is always turned on and it's like, where are my children? Right. Are they safe? And, like, that's not something that you understand until you have a kid. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to sleep again. <laughs>
0: it's, true. it's true. And you mentioned, like, being a single mom. My husband's back and forth to Massachusetts right now, so I'm, like, a single mom five days a week. Uh, and so I, I usually sleep with earplugs in when he's here and so when he's gone I sleep with one earplug <laughs> like how dumb is that but I feel like I need to kind of tune out but also hear
1: Yes, I the love psychological
0: that. idiocy of me going to bed with an eye mask and one earplug parenting <laughs> though you have one ear but like one ear closed just in c- like I want to pretend like I'm not listening to you exactly <laughs> but you don't you never it, you never release that you never relax again yeah. You, you, <laughs> Good you, luck you, people out there having ex- kids.
1: Exactly. You're, you're sort of, well, especially with our personality types, you're sort of turned, you're turned on mm-hmm. and you can't really turn it off because th- those kids are your responsibility and you can't lose them. And, <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: you can, but then you'll really be hated.
1: And it, and as a single mom, I was, I was trying to explain this to somebody over the weekend, um, because somebody interviewed me about a book that I just wrote and um, I, and in it, like I, get, I got really, 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 really depressed. Um, I, from running a marathon and raising two kids by myself, their father moved across the country and I was by myself and I have, I was, I'm running my own business. So I'm working full time, meaning I'm working probably 60 to 70 hours a week. And I'm trying to like raise two daughters by myself. And it was, really 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 hard and i was trying to explain to someone why i kept repeating in the book full-time single parent who works full-time and what you have to do to compartmentalize your own emotion and your own problems in order to provide the emotional support that your kids need is really really exhausting when you don't have someone you can't say to someone can you please go calm her down so that I can deal with, you know, this crisis over here, you have to, uh, you have to like leave the crisis and go provide the emotional support for your child that you need. Right. And it's exhausting because it's relentless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> and do you feel like the, the clock, t- to me, the clock, once it gets to about 2.30 and I realize that I have exactly an hour and 20 minutes or whatever left of my day you know because you can say oh but you you know you have all night but you don't like the second kids walk in the door. It, you don't know what's happening. Like it could be one of those nights where you get to work, or it could be you know they they shit on the carpet and then they ran through the house with it. Like you don't know. And so I try to explain this to my husband, who's like, "Well, they're in school all day." You know, I'm like, "You don't understand. You,
1: when they walk in the door, it could be a nuclear war." I was just going to use the word nuclear. I will. <laughs> I, I'm usually standing in the kitchen when my 15 year old walks in the door and I brace I like I hold on to the countertop I'm like what is gonna happen and sometimes she walks in and a blast exerts from her body and like 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 decimates the room and I'm like oh okay this is what our night's gonna be <laughs> and it's homework and piano and dinner and then more homework and then you know there's just so much at night that by the end when they're in bed it's like I can't do anything. Else.
0: <laughs> just sit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I need to sit and nobody say anything. Nobody touch me. Just let me.
0: <laughs> I mean, you feel like you've been beaten.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, doing math with my husband, <sighs> he's eleven, and he's he knows just how to make me lose it and he does it on purpose i call him serial killer eyes because he looks at me and i keep thinking jeffrey dahmer was such a nice young man you know like he's got those like serial killer eyes where everyone's gonna say he was a great kid but then on a murderous rampage and i'll get shot on for saying that but um you know he knows how to push my buttons and I can only take so much. Yeah. What is your breaking point? You have, do you have two teenagers or one teenager and one coming?
1: 15 year old and a a nine year old. Okay. And that nine year old knows how to push my buttons. And when she's doing her math homework, that's when her legs start to hurt.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) My ten year old has a growing leg too. <laughs> I
1: was
0: with the legs hurting? I, I
1: I had growing pains too, but I never used it to get out of math homework. No,
0: we've had a leg hurt since age five. <laughs> my daughter.
1: That's funny, right? She's just like she's like oh my legs. And I'm like just get the get the problem done. That's all you have to do.
0: <laughs> Your legs have nothing to do with division. <laughs>
1: That's so funny cuz
0: I just I just texted my husband this morning and I said, "Hope you slept well. Stella came in my room last night. Her legs hurt." <laughs> I roll, I roll emoji. <laughs> because she's got, you know, and you know, I fear that maybe there is something wrong with her leg.
1: No, I so growing pains are <laughs> growing pains are a real thing and my daughter uses it to get out of math homework and then when she has to practice piano every day, she when she sits down at the piano her legs are like and she starts to like moan and then she falls on the floor and it's a deal and so and her piano teacher which she sees once a week says you know you have a very different daughter than what I see in the (laughs) lesson and 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 apparently at this last lesson she was just really frustrated and she told the teacher that she couldn't play because her legs were hurting
0: (laughs) I'm gonna need to introduce. Is it Marlo, Marlo yes. and Stella? And they should just start their own podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so. they're, yeah, they're long lost, they're missing sisters. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, how is parenting a teenager? Not um, like talking about. You know, I don't want to get you in Instagram hell, but the, you know how. Is oh no.
1: Um, Give me some, some, be my guru, Heather. Oh man. So people had warned me and and this is the thing. I was not the teenager that my teenager is. I was, and, and it's good that she's, her, her emotions are outward. She displays her emotions and she talks about her emotions and her emotions are like, she wears them like on her body. I was very inward. I was, uh, I turned everything. I didn't talk about it. All of my depression, because I was seriously depressed as a teenager, I just sort of like absorbed it and never inflicted it on my mom. And, um, my daughter's very different. She's very outward. She wants me to know about how she's feeling, <laughs> and it is, it is exhausting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love her. She's the most amazing kid who ever lived. I've done a, I'm going to take credit for (laughs) how amazing (laughs) she is. Um, But it really is. Uh, It's different than, than a toddler, but it's just as exhausting. Wow. Thanks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So excited. (laughs) What, what does it feel like to raise a human though? Like knowing that she's out in the world in what three or four years, do you do you panic and think Have I done everything I was supposed to do? Does she yes. have all the tools? Is she emotionally stable? Like because I'm I'm I've dealt with depression too, not to the extent you have, but I, I don't want my kids to have to feel that way. My my big thing was addiction, so I was a drunk, and I'm three years sober, and so oh, wow. I, I keep looking at them, and I'm like, Are they going to be drunks? <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> don't don't drink and they're like what is drinking we're 10 you know but, um yeah what is that what,
1: did, what goes through your head right it's um i think she's very independent um and is very excited to go out into the world she wants a lot of kids her age do not want to get driver's license
0: really this is, is that a millenni- thing. wait what are they they're not millennials are
1: they're, they they're they're like generation z generation or y yeah Hmm. A lot of kids her age are just, mm, you know, their mom will drive them or they'll get a Lyft account. And, you know, it's she wants a driver's license. She wants a car. She wants to get away. And she has she actually sat me down and said, we need to have a talk. <laughs> and I I need to know that you're going to be OK when I leave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, of course I am. Get out of here.
1: she wants to go to college somewhere else and, uh, she doesn't want to stay in Utah. She wants to stay in Utah for high school and then she wants to get out. And she's very independent that way. And I feel very confident that she's going to have the tools. What I think about is like, so what I entered the world without any sort of sex education whatsoever. Uh And I entered the world without any sort of political education. And, um, race education and a lot of things that she's going to come up against. And I'm wondering, like, am I having enough conversations with her about those things? Yeah. Um, especially the sex education part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I gave
0: my kids books recently. Oh, you did. Yeah. and, And then my son told his friend, he's like, I got a book. And his friend was like, about penises? I got one of those for Christmas. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. I'm not the only one who's doing that. But, I, you know, I don't want to make it awkward for them. But I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> my son likes facts. And so I thought, you know, he likes facts. He, he he has a book called A Thousand Facts. And I thought he will like a book about facts. about. Facts. <laughs> And then my daughter, I got her the Care and Keeping of You, like that highly rated, high, you know, renowned book on Amazon. And she picked it up and she was like, oh, I know about periods, whatever. And she just threw it. And I thought, well, you know, I got this one right. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. Well, I, my
0: parents didn't talk, we didn't talk about that. You were supposed to be a virgin. End of story.
1: End of story. In the story. And so I went out into the world and had no idea what was going on. Right. I had no clue what was going on. I actually write about this in my book. And I'm not, I have no, like, I'm not embarrassed to even write, to say it, but, like, I'm prone to UTIs. I'm prone to urinary tract infections after sex. Mm-hmm. And nobody told me that this was a thing. Right. Like, no, nobody told me that you can, this, this is a phenomenon. And even, I didn't even know what a urinary tract infection was. And I got one the first time I had sex and I had no idea what was going on. And I was screaming and my roommate at the time came in and she's like, Oh, you must have a UTI. And I was like, what is that? Like a UFO? Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? I had no idea. Right. And I wish that like my mom had pulled me aside and gone with me to the gynecologist. And, you know, I'm going to do all of that with her.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's the right thing to do. I think as long as we're trying to communicate and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Stella's like, I think I'm going through puberty. And I was like, oh yeah. And so she'll tell me like all the changes that are, they're that happening to her that are indicating. So, <laughs> and then she'll make up some, and I'm like, yeah, that's not one. But, you know, it's it's like we're talking about it. And so I feel better already. You know, yeah, oh, I bought him books and that's kind of shitty. Maybe it's a parent. But I just want him to have the resource. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and then I've noticed my son when he hugs me now, like he used to just give me a full boob hug and now he kind of goes for the shoulder. You know?
1: <laughs> and so I ruined that. The innocence is gone. (laughs) Oh, the innocence is gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about your book.
1: My book. Okay. So this is book number, is this four? Yeah, officially it's four, but I sort of like to consider it my second book. Oh,
0: (laughs) why is that?
1: You want to forget about two of them? Well, the first one I had to write, it's a compilation of essays about fatherhood. And I had to do that book to get out of a lawsuit um yeah that was a uh, that was a dark chapter of my life um and uh, they sued me because i didn't sign the contract and they sued to make me sign the contract which you think is not something that you can sue for but apparently in new york there's some precedent for it so
0: wow nothing um, like being forced to write a book you don't right? write right wow how did you even that's amazing
1: <laughs> yeah that was a that was like a very scary two months of my life because I thought I was gonna lose everything
0: oh
1: my gosh um, okay and, so we
0: won't talk about that but yeah. moving on next book
1: <laughs> next book is about my postpartum depression with my daughter um and how I took myself into a hospital and got better um the third oh, book were
0: you, you were still married at the time
1: yes I was yeah. still married uh, that was 10 years ago it was 2009 when it was released and um and then I used to write my, my older daughter, I used to write her a, a monthly newsletter to talk about her and what her like the changes in her life. And I did that for five years and then realized it was just too much to keep up. And
0: <laughs> it's like the first kid gets a five year baby yeah. book and I mean it's perfect.
1: Yeah. And I had an editor who compiled all of it and put it into a very family friendly he took out all of the the swearing and, um, <laughs> and compiled it into like a, a Mother's Day book. Oh, that's um, nice. But it, it came out as I was going through my divorce and I just, I just, you know, I was sort of consumed with the tragedy of that. And, yeah. um, and it was a lot of the tragedy was that it was so public and like the Huffington Post wrote about it. The New York Times wrote about it. The local paper wrote about it um, it got picked up because the mommy blogger got divorced and she's not supposed to get divorced. And it was a really, really horrific experience. Um, Why,
0: why did, I don't even know where to go with that. I mean, so many people get divorced. Yeah. Why was it such a fascinating event? Do you think?
1: Because I, one, I was the mommy blogger and I had made our, life and our marriage look like we were, um, we, we really fit together. And I always made fun of me in, in relation to him. Like he had to put up with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I sort of let, let, let the steam off of any of our problems was to say, Oh yeah, he has to deal with the crazy person. Right. So I made my own bed. Like I, I portrayed me as the person who was crazy And, um, so when it happened, people were just like, oh my gosh, he had to deal with her for 10 years. And um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what, what would you do differently? Not as far as your marriage, but as far as portraying yourself in a blog?
1: Um, I have kept my relationships out of my writing. Um, I, I wrote about my new, my newest partner, my newest (laughs) as if it's going to change. It's not going to change. I wrote about him just, I had a painting done for his birthday and sort of finally came out and said, this is, this is the person that I'm living with. And this was the
0: train wreck post. This is where someone said you were a car crash.
1: Yeah. It's the Mm -hmm. same post. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A loving, nice tribute post. Okay. Just noted that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I keep him and his children out of my writing I just don't want to bring that into, um, the conversation anymore. Um, because I living through a public divorce like that, it's yeah, uh, that's something to leave. That's a a tip I would give to people is leave that part out of your writing.
0: And I used to write a lot about my children and my husband who his nickname on the blog was the expert and everyone knew about, him and mm-hmm. then I we had a huge blowout and he was like you keep me off your stupid blog and this was like 2013 and so I just like I pulled it all back and I barely mentioned him and so then I start hearing well they're getting a divorce she doesn't talk about him he's never around and he, he's like keep me off your Instagram and I'm like done and so he's never on my Instagram but it's so funny because now I've been hearing for years that I'm getting divorced and I'm It's always news to me. (laughs) Oh, my
1: God. But, yeah, I mean, I
0: think that would be my advice, too, is, like, don't let anyone know about them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And just keep it minimal. And I, like, I don't want to write about our dynamic. And because that's, you know, it's sacred to me now. Like, I realize just how sacred it is. Mm -hmm. And inviting people into the conversation about it is really unhealthy.
0: Right. They yeah. form opinions off of the 5% you shared. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the second slash fourth book um, The Valedictorian of Being Dead. The True Story of Dying Ten Times to Live. What does that mean?
1: I do know you were valedictorian of your class. I was a valedictorian of my high school, yes. Um, And that has carried you far, yes. Yeah, everybody cares about that. Right, it's on your card. (laughs) Heather Armstrong, valedictorian. Um,
0: uh, But really, what does that do to a kid? What is valedictorian? What did it mean for you then, and how did it haunt you?
1: Or did it? Oh, my! my oh, well, it's, I write extensively about it in my book. I was, um, you know, I was basically born to make my mother happy and I spent my entire childhood like attempting to get the best grades possible because if I did that, then she would be happy. And, um, like being the valedictorian for me was the ultimate goal in life as a kid and if anybody told me to calm down or like it's not a big deal or like getting a B is gonna be okay, I would scratch their faces off <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, sounds familiar yeah and I in so my daughter is showing the same tendencies and she hates it when people say getting an a minus is not a big deal. And so I have to be very cautious how I talk to her because when I say can I tell you how unhappy I was? I was so unhappy, and get, being valedictorian did nothing for me in life. <laughs> yeah. Other than the fact that it's on a plaque downstairs in a box. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, I underwent a uh, an experimental study for um, treatment resistant depression. Treatment
0: resistant depression. Yeah.
1: So basically like people who tried several different methods of getting, trying to get better, um, whether it's like medical or medicinal or, or, you know, you've done everything that you possibly can and the thing is working. There are options for you. Um, and this, this uh, experiment is trying to replicate ECT and without the side effects of ECT. And I they basically give you an anesthetic and induce a coma so deep that it it basically quiets all of your brain activity and they keep you there for 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you you did that I guess 10 times. <laughs> I did it
1: 10 times and they it, they literally came up with the idea off of like four or five different other studies and this is the first time we've ever used propofol this way and <clears throat> I was the third person to go through it and I went down the first time that I that I went down, I went down so fast that they had to struggle to get the breathing tube into my body and time oh my and gosh. they, because they had no idea because the two people before me were slow to go down. And I just like, I was like, well, I want to be dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, I'm right there. I'm at the door. Yeah. The I said, like,
1: please, please. And so wow. my, and, um, my mother was just like, Oh yeah, she's the best at everything she does. <laughs> <laughs> I need to introduce our mothers too. <laughs> And so that's that's where where the title came from is um, my mother said to the doctor, you know, she's a valedictorian of being dead. Oh, so that's funny.
0: that's funny. Have you found? I want to pop back to the kids real quick. Have yeah. you found that your relationship to grades are you a little lax? Because I went completely the opposite. Because I was very similar. I, I had all these expectations. I got in trouble if I got Bs, kind of stuff. And so I have kind of gone the. the other way with my kids i'm like eh, no one's gonna look at your fifth grade transcript just pass you know <laughs> exactly. And my husband's like my god meredith they have to like learn and i'm like oh they're fine you know i'm almost like a hippie when it comes to this stuff i
1: that's what yes that's exactly where i am yeah that's exactly how but i am i don't I'm know like, if
0: that's good either right
1: well like my, my their <laughs> motive like well if the, my older one is at least motivated she gets great grades she's so hard on herself and i'm just like and i always like look at her and go you know that I understand how you feel, right? Like I'm the one person in the world who understands how important this is to you. I'm also the one person in the world who can tell you that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I really want her to enjoy being a teenager. Yeah.
0: We're trying to be the the parent that we needed or mm-hmm. yeah. we'll screw it up. We're not doing it right, but yeah. know, they'll talk about us on a podcast someday. But anyway, okay. <laughs> so back to being the val- valedictorian of being dead. What did it, so let's talk about your depression. You said you were depressed as a teenager. So this has been a lifelong cloud.
1: Yes. I've struggled, I've struggled my entire life. It's, it is rampant in my family. Um, far and wide depression has affected my family. And, um, my mother is one of 10 kids and she's the only one who didn't suffer from depression. Um, me and my brother suffer. My sister does not, but two of three of her kids do. Um, three of my brother's kids do, my children do. Um, it is, I have, I have episodes and you know, sometimes coming out of an episode is easier than other times. Um, and I got into a depression so deep that I, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was just a deep, deep spiral. And I, nothing was working to bring me out of it. And I was really scared. I was very, very scared that I was always going to feel that way for the rest of my life. And so I went to see my psychiatrist only to get a refill on a medication. And I didn't want to see him because I knew that if I saw him, he would know how bad I felt. Oh, yeah. And medical professionals are required to, you know, be extraordinarily circumspect when you say certain things. Right. And I didn't want him to know. And I sat down across from him and he's like, you don't even have to say a word to me. I know exactly how you're feeling. And, um, and he said, I, and I'm glad you're sitting here because I have, have an idea for you. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) How long had this particular
0: episode lasted at this point?
1: It was over 18 months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was bad. Um, and it all started when, I mean, I changed my diet to be vegan and then I trained for a marathon And was raising my kids by myself and (laughs) working full time. (laughs) So you were saying you were very full and energized.
0: Got it. Yeah.
1: I basically, I dug my hole, man. I just, it was bad. Deep, dark fatigue. Deep, dark. And And I thought that when I finished the marathon, I'd feel better. And no, not at all. No. Maybe you just needed one earplug. <laughs> and an eye mask, yes. And an eye mask.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. so he presented you with this treatment. What did you think initially?
1: I was scared that he was going to suggest ECT. That's oh, what I was So what scared is ECT? Of. So ECT is electroconvulsive uh, therapy.
0: Convulsive. I couldn't get the T. I was like, electrotherapy?
1: Yeah. Cat therapy. They, okay. hook, they hook you up and they shock the brain into a seizure. Okay. Uh. Um yeah and you have to do it like ten to twelve times, and you suffer you can suffer uh permanent memory loss and temporary memory loss and uh severe headaches migraines um ongoing and so the side effects are are bad, but the therapy actually really works for treatment resistant depression mm-hmm Um, and he's like, you know, we've got a doctor here who's amazing and he's using an anesthesia and you'll be able to go about your normal life and you're not going to suffer any side effects. I think you should do it. I know it's going to work. Trust me. Yes, there's a possibility of death. You're not going to die, but it's, but you know, (laughs) <laughs> oh, and um, so I it was the first time in eighteen months, honestly, when he told me about it that I was like, i'm right, like maybe I won't feel like this forever. And <clears throat> so I went home and called my mom, and I said, you know, what do you want to do? And she's like, Are you kidding me? Let's do this!
0: Wow. So
1: because she knew how bad you were. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> now, how is it having a relationship with with a mom who's not depressed? I mean, is there just a disconnect? And understanding?
1: No. In no. fact, in fact, so I was the first kid, really, to ask for help. And she saw the signs in me, and mm-hmm. she's actually really grateful for what I've written and, and how I talk about it and what I've done. Because we can now recognize the signs in all of the grandchildren and get them help immediately instead wow. of like living in, in pain. And my, my mother is the hugest, like, um, advocate for mental health awareness. Um, and she sees how to, how, how me and my brother have suffered and how grandchildren have suffered and she does everything she possibly can to support it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So what happened? Like, let's talk about, you had this done 10 times, like give us the, I mean, obviously we want people to read the
1: book, but
0: what, what happened?
1: (laughs) Tell us what happened. Yeah, so it it was basically every other day for four, three weeks, three or four weeks. I had to go in every other day, and you have to fast. So I was fasting for twenty hours at a time, three times a week. And my mother and stepfather drove me there every time and watched it every time, and um, which was a very harrowing experience for my mother. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, and everybody who's read the book says that my mom. If they make a movie out of it, my mother will be the star of the movie. <laughs> Who's going to play her? <laughs> oh man, the only she has. How's your mom? What does she look like? She's se- she's she's beautiful. She's seventy. Oh, she's seventy three years old. Yeah, and she has a an incredible duality to her because she's very religious, um, and like she is extraordinarily business minded, very smart. But she can be super crass and <laughs> irreverent. Um, <Susan> she's
0: in <laughs> Sarandon, Glenn Close.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Glenn Close would be great. Um, oh so yeah, she, she's um, she saved my life. Honestly, she dedicated her li- a month of her life to me. And <clears throat> you know, after the first few treatments, I didn't feel anything and was sort of getting even more depressed because I was like, what am I doing? I'm and hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fifth treatment act happened two years ago yesterday on, on St. Patrick's day. And after the fifth treatment, something happened. Um, it was like, I call it a switch got flipped mm-hmm. and suddenly all of a sudden Literally, suddenly, I didn't want to be dead anymore. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so you had five more after that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the treatment? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they, they're replicating ECT. And because you have to do 10 to 12 treatments of ECT, they want to, like, prove that this is how it works. So is the study done as far as? They okay. did they did 10 of us in that, in that, um, in that treatment. And now in a month they're starting the double blind study, which involves, I think, 22 people. Yeah. Wow. So half of them will get it and then half of them won't.
0: So what's going to happen to them? They
1: just go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be given propofol, but not enough to do to the brain what they did to my brain
0: that would make me mad. <laughs> <That> <laughs> you know what? I don't
1: get to eat and I don't feel better. Yeah. So the uh, lead anesthesiologist on the study who helped come up with the study, um, he and I are good friends now, and he's actually going to be speaking um, at the Salt Lake book tour. We're going to do a Q&A with him. And I sat down um, to have coffee with him the other day, and he said, you know, it, it just pains me that we have to do a double blind. Like it, he goes, it destroys me because this is so needed and it works and half of these people are not going to get the effect. And he said, it just, he's like, he's like, I'm a scientist, I'm a doctor and that really makes me sad. So, um, yeah, science, right. (laughs) Well, it's required in order to get this approved. I know, I'm married
0: (sighs) to one. Yes, I mean, because he is always telling me anytime I start anything new, you know, I'm like, well, I feel better because I changed this, this, and this, and this. And he's like, God, you have no idea. You have no control, you know, like the control (laughs) of the study. And I'm like, geez, I don't. But yeah, I have no regard for science. I feel like you do give them give it all to them. If they all feel better, it worked. (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's simple math (laughs) exactly (laughs) so how how do you feel I mean you said it's two years from Mm -hmm. treatment five so almost two years since it was complete
1: yeah um I feel I feel really good Uh, my life is and I write this in the in the afterward like I my life is more chaotic than it's ever been. You know, I thought that moving in with someone was gonna. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was gonna calm things down, and whoa did my life explode? And it's my life is as chaotic as it has ever been, and um, and I'm handling it like I'm totally okay. I can, I have bad days, but um, I'm so much better. Yeah. And, and, and that is because. I take all of my medication every day and that's very important. And, and they emphasize this when you're done with the study, like you have to stay on your medication to stay well. So
0: what does depression feel like, like the deep dark depression you experienced for 18 months? You said you didn't want to live, but what, what are some words that you've used to
1: describe it? Um, it, it's an all consuming, um, Sadness. I write about this because they give you a sheet of paper before you go into the treatment, and they ask you about what is your general interest like, and how do you feel about normal activities, and how do you, what's your appetite like, and how, how is your relationship with your family, and how do you feel about yourself? And that question, I think, got to the heart. That one question was always like. It would punch me in the gut because I would see the question and the the answers are, um, I feel okay about myself or I feel that I am unworthy or I feel like I am a burden to everyone else. I feel like there is no reason for me to exist. Hmm. And um, I think that's what it is, is I was going to call the book um, Better Off Without Me um, because there's having that kind of depression makes, makes me, and I think it makes a lot of people feel like we are, uh, taking up space in people's lives that should be used for something else. Yeah. And we feel like we're a burden and that people would be just so much better not having to deal with us. And that's, that's the overall feeling, I think.
0: So your book is out April 23rd. April 23rd, yes. On Tuesday. It's got to be a Tuesday. I just yes. learned that all books come out on Tuesday. <laughs> I learned that with my last guest. Uh, I just had a book come out last Tuesday. And I was, oh, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Heather, I appreciate talking with you. I've got one more question for you. Sure. Um, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, which means we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But it's what we do... In those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness and success. So I like to ask my guests, what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think helps you live your best life?
1: We moved in with my partner and his kids back in August, and we live close enough to my kids school that we walk every day. And it is a ritual that I absolutely adore because we walk our dog and I walk with my child and I get to, you know, walk her up to the door of her school. And, um, you know, when, in, in the depths of my depression, waking up was one of the worst parts of my life. Right. And now I, I really enjoy the morning part of my day because of that walk with my kid. And so like, even, even when it's like snowing crazy outside, we walk to school because it just brings me so much joy. Yeah.
0: Well, when she leaves the house, you can just like start a service, like walking, (laughs) you can can walk other people's kids. That's a great idea. I know, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you, Heather. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was great. Catching up with our Lady of Perpetual Depression
1: cracked me up <laughs> on your blog. That was a criticism of me, and I was like, "I love that.
0: It's perfect. Let's make it." <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.